following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Glad to have you here. How many of you in this group of people gathered over there in the patio, up here in the stands, down here at the track, over here on the track too, the celebrated couple, uh, how many of you remember the moon landing on July 20th, 1969? Can I see your hands? Look at that. There were people that actually there. Okay, that's great. How many of you remember Mount St. Helens blowing up in 1980? Anybody? Anybody there? Okay. How many remember the Ch- Ch- Chandler uh, Challenger? Challenger disaster. Okay, yeah, 1986. How about the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers? Anybody got that? 2001? Oh, a lot more. Interesting, all those moments, those are the big moments in the last, you know, few decades, all those moments pale in comparison to the greatest moment in human history, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. And if you're new with us today, I want you to know that we're in the midst of a series called What is to Come, and we're talking about the end times, eschatology, the study of last things. We've talked about the rapture, the tribulation for a couple weeks, and now we are celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. Back in 1997, U.S. News and World Report, that was a magazine. Remember what magazines used to look like? Anyway, that was a magazine, and they wrote this startling statistic. 60% of Americans, including a third of those who never, ever attend church, say they believe that Jesus will return to this earth physically. Can you believe that? That's amazing. And I'm sure that statistic has changed today. But the Spirit of God has promised that every single one of us, both saved and unsaved, know intrinsically, because the Spirit of God has told us, we are going to be judged for our sin. And the second coming of Jesus Christ is for Him to come and to judge all of mankind over their sin. And understand, he is coming to not just judge, but to rule this planet as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords, the one supreme ruler over all. Can you celebrate the fact that when he's here, there will be no Congress? There will be no Senate. There will be no voting. There will be no media. There'll be no democracy. There'll be no United Nations. There will only be Christ as King. The perfect, all-powerful, sovereign, totally just dictator. Are you looking forward to this moment? You have to. You know, I'm trying to think of moments that just define looking forward to. Those of you who own a, a, a decent dog, Know that every time you open that door, they treat you as if you have never, ever been there before. That this is the first time you've rescued them from being alone. And they're wagging and excited and ecstatic. Anybody know a dog like that? Yeah, thank you. Cats don't do that, friends. They go, yeah, okay, move on. But understand, I remember only one time was I separated from my bride 
and I know some have to do this because of their careers and military, etc. But for us, four and a half weeks, I was separated from Jean. I'll never forget the reunion of her waiting for me at the airport. And my heart and her heart. And thought, wow. I mean, th- th- this, is the, this is the love of my life. My bride, my, 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 my wife, and, and, and we're reunited. And that, that's that same sense of anticipation we should be having about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you know the second coming is different than the rapture, right? You know that. It's different in the sense that the rapture can occur at any moment, any second. Nothing has to happen for the rapture to occur. It initiates the beginning of the tribulation, and Christ will be in the air, snatch us away as his chosen bride in a twinkling of an eye, and we'll be with him forever. But the second coming is different. second coming is when Christ physically, literally touches down to earth. And he ends the tribulation, not begins it, and he is seen by every human being on this planet, and he returns in glory and majesty with all of his saints and all of his angels. This is an incredible event. Now, is the second coming of Christ certain, yes or no? Listen, if you believe in Christ for salvation, you must believe in his second coming. In fact, if you don't believe in his second coming, you would be considered biblically, theologically, a heretic. It is so certain, it is actually written in Old and New Testaments, the number together of the number of times the Bible refers to the second coming of Christ. Are you ready for this? 1,845 times. Does God want you to know that he's coming back? Absolutely he wants you to know. Uh, The second coming of Christ is mentioned explicitly in 23 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Out of the 260 New Testament chapters, 260 New Testament chapters, there are 318 references of the second coming. In fact, Jesus' second coming is mentioned eight times more than his first coming. For every mention of salvation in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are two mentions of the second coming of Christ. And Jesus himself refers to his own return 21 times in the Gospels. And believers, you and I, are exhorted by God over 50 times to prepare for the second coming of Christ. This is incredible news. This is the event of the century. And before I exposit a biblical description of Christ's second coming from Mark 13, we're going to get there. I kind of want to take the, the bag off the lamp, so to speak, and shed some light on some questions that you might have about the second coming. So that's why we gave you the outline that you can follow along. Take a look at the questions that are there. The first one is, how will Christ return? Look at these verses. There's a lot of them today, but rejoice in them, showing that it is everywhere in the Scripture, that Christ will come personally, He will come visually, and He will come literally. He is not going to send an Instagram. It's not going to be an email. It's not going to make a phone call. Christ is personally physically going to return to planet earth he came the first time as the veiled lamb of god who would be slain for our sins he came that way the first time now he comes to rule this planet forever he was veiled in his glory at his first coming you couldn't tell that he was the god man but when he returns he throws that cover off And you will see Christ in all of his glory, all of his majesty. It will be the most incredible sight that you have ever seen in your life. He will not be in disguise. There will not be a mystery about it. There will be no question. People won't be going, 
gee, I wonder if that's Jesus, they'll know that this is God in a bod. And it will be Jesus, not someone else, not an archangel, not an Old Testament prophet, but the God-man. Take a look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Look at it in your outline there. It says, I saw heaven open. Wow, that's a sight. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called what? Faithful. We just sang about faithfulness. And true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Revelation 1-7, I love this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. You say, when's it going to happen, Chris? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 24-29 tells us, immediately after the tribulation, of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on earth. Matthew 24, verse 30, sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn for they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. You say, where's he going to touch down? That's not in your notes, but write it down. Zechariah 14, 4 He's touching down on the Mount of Olives. When he hits the ground, it'll split open. It's going to crack the Mount of Olives right in half. This is greater than any special effects. Are you not, now come on, be honest. Are you not impressed by movie special effects these days? They can make you think that something's real. And they can blow up New York, which is kind of fun for me. I don't know why. Uh, being an L.A. boy, I don't know why. I don't, everybody's all into New York. You know? They wipe out New York, you know, and they, they wipe out Los Angeles. They wipe out some sort of historical monument and earthquakes, you know, totally destroying everything. You think, man, I'm really impressed with that. <clears throat> but interesting enough, every time I see an earthquake on the movie screen, it pales in comparison because at one point in my life, I was in a very, very, very large building and I watched actually an earthquake wave actually wave through the wall. I watched it as it traveled all the way through the wall. I was sitting in a room and I watched our dining room lamp swing around like it was a yo-yo on a string like this during an earthquake. And I thought, you know what? Those impressions far outweigh any special effects. And I want you to know right now the return of Jesus Christ will far outweigh any special effect, and your imagination, it will be far beyond what you can even comprehend. That's how awesome. You say, Chris, is it really that awesome? Yeah. Think about the Apostle John facing Jesus, living with Jesus, and then the Apostle John seeing Christ in his glorified form in the visions of Revelation. What happens to him? What does he do? He faints. He cannot even stand in the presence of Christ, the one who he leaned up against at the, you know, the final supper there, he, he can't even stand in his presence. This is going to be an awesome moment. Look at these scriptures. It says the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is going to come and conquer, and he's going to be riding an incredible white stallion. A white stallion. I, I saw the beast and the king, uh, Revelation 19, 19, the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army that's with him as he returns. He takes care of the beast, the false prophet, in a, just a heartbeat. Verse 21, And the rest were killed with the sword which came out of the mouth of Christ, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Just one word from Christ, and the armies of the world are destroyed. You say, what's the significance of riding on a white horse? You don't understand that, but they did. When they read these words, they understood. In the Roman Empire, it was very simple. 
a Roman general after an incredible victory, after he wipes out pirates or wipes out a nation and a victory for Rome, he would literally ride on a white horse. And the only time they could ride a white horse, completely white, in a victory parade that was celebrated as the general who then brought about the victory. Here's the significance of the white horse. Christ rides the white horse before the battle. Why? Because it's a no-brainer who's winning. He's going to win the battle even before the battle occurs. As he returns, he's the victor. Are you getting it? It's not a contest, friends. Some of you come from backgrounds where it's Satan versus Jesus. That is not a contest. Satan is a created being. It is not a contest. He is the victor. You, if you're a Christian, are on the side that wins. Are you ready for that? Don't you love being on the winning team? You are. And that's the celebration of Christ's return. The second coming is so spectacular, it is difficult to even imagine. And what's wonderful is that each one of you who are in Christ, and by the way, let me make that clear, you must be a born-again Christian, you will be in this. If you're not, you're not. You have to be a believer, not just somebody who, yeah, I like Jesus, or I think Jesus is great. No, you've got to be a Christ follower. You've got to be born again to be a part of this reunion. But if you are, you're returning with Christ. You are. Who returns with Jesus Christ at his return? Well, look at uh, in your outline there. You know, when you look at a photograph, what's, who's the first person you look for? Be honest, you look for yourself. You want to see if you're perfect or if you're presentable, or if you're plastic, if you're pale, or if you're appalling. Yeah, I made those up. Well, take a good hard look at this picture, Christian, because you're in it. And honestly, you have never looked better. This is, your, this is you at your best. It says in Zechariah 14, 5, The Lord my God will come and all his, what? Holy ones will come with him. Matthew 25, 31. And by the way, you're holy because he made you holy. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, look at it. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his who? All his saints. Jude 14, behold, the Lord comes with many thousands of his holy ones. Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following on him on what? White horse. Now, some of you are going to be honest, going, Chris, I've never enjoyed riding a horse. In fact, some of you would say, I've never been on a horse. I'm so afraid of him. I actually have been on a white horse. I used to ride Pony Express for a camp at full gallop, deliver the mail. One time, he bolted in front of me, and I was actually riding on the hiney of the horse during the entire ride. It was quite a thrill ride. But I'm not afraid of horses, and by the way, if you are now, you won't be then, because you'll have the perfect white horse, and you will be riding that horse with Christ as he returns, because the scripture says you will, and you will be returning with him in victory. And by the way, none of you here have a one-way ticket. If you're a Christian and you're born again, it's not one way, it's two-way. You have a return flight. You're going to be with Christ, but you're coming back with him. You're coming back in this return. You will come back and rule with him on earth. And when he does return from heaven to destroy the Antichrist, judge of the nations, establish his kingdom, he will be accompanied by a great multitude. And if you are born again, you're a part of it. The mighty army following his train is made up of both angels. And I think it's going to be, are you ready for this? All the angels. All the holy angels will be there. And all redeemed human beings will be there. Anyone who was raptured, living or dead, before the tribulation, 
uh, will return with Jesus Christ back to earth at his second coming at the climax of the tribulation. Listen, friends, when he comes, you're with him. You're riding with him. Picture it. What's it going to be like for you to sit on your own white horse following the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, when he comes again? What's that going to be like? You think you'll be smiling? Yeah. Do you think you'll be overwhelmingly joyful? Will you be in awe of his majesty? Absolutely. We will be in the midst of a vast angelic army, a saintly army as well, as Christ in all his glory, blazing in fire through the clouds, does some amazing things. What is he going to do in your outline when he comes back? What's he going to do? Well, several unique events. We've already heard in Revelation 19, he's going to defeat the Antichrist. He's going to destroy all the armies of the earth for scorning the one true God. And then listed there in your outline, he will also regather and restore faithful Israel. The nation of Israel, God is not finished with yet. He's going to bring them back, Romans 11, verse 26. So all Israel will be what? Saved. At the end of the tribulation, they're going to be born again. They're going to get it. They're going to understand who the Messiah is. And this promise is over and over. One of the most repeated promises in the Old Testament is that God is going to regather and restore the nation of Israel. Look at Jeremiah 33 there in your outline. It says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. That's all of Israel. And will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities by which they've sinned against me, by which they have transgressed against me. It will be to me a name of joy. They, Israel, will be a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth which will hear of all the good things that I do for Israel, them. And they will fear the other nations and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. Israel will again be the nation of the Messiah. They will be the chosen nation. And the regathering of Israel at that point may have begun in 1948 when the modern state of Israel was born. But this regathering may continue until the second coming of Christ. There is a time at the second half of the tribulation when they're scattered, they're running for their lives because of the persecution against them by the Antichrist, but Christ will gather the believing Jews together again, restore them as his chosen nation, and they will be the centerpiece. Isaiah even talks about, are you ready for this? That the Gentiles of this planet will grab onto the coattails of a Jewish man or woman, and they will take them to Jesus. That's the kind of relationship they're going to have. Christ also in your outline will judge all the living. When he returns, all Gentiles who survived the tribulation, all the Jews alive on the earth who survived the tribulation, will appear before Jesus Christ. And he will determine if they can enter his kingdom. This is called the sheep-goat judgment. And if you want to be one of them, which one do you want to be, sheep or goat? Sheep, that's right. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Those believing the sheep go into the kingdom, the unbelieving, the goats, will be taken away to torment. What else happens when he comes? He will resurrect the dead. After the second coming, he's going to resurrect the Old Testament believers and the tribulation saints, and they will be raised, they will be rewarded, They will reign with Christ, the three R's, raised, rewarded, and reign with Christ in the kingdom in glorified bodies. The believing church already has our glorified bodies at the rapture and will enter the kingdom to rule under Christ. And when he comes, 
back, he will bind the devil. Are you excited about him binding the devil? You should be. One of the first things he does after his return is bind Satan. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1 describes it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the keys to the abyss. That's the darkest place in torment. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon. Who's that? The serpent of old. Who's that? It's the devil and Satan. No question there. And bound him for how many years? The thousand year kingdom. A thousand years. A mighty angel seizes him. Cast him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, after which time he is briefly released. And we'll talk about that in weeks to come. And when he comes back, Christ will establish himself as king of not just earth, but all the universe. King of earth and heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He comes to sit on his glorious throne and reign over all. That was the promise of the Old Testament. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, there in your outline. In the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be what? Never be destroyed. It will itself endure forever. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you, you disciples who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also, you twelve, will sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The return of the king is not just the third movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The return of the king is Jesus Christ. And he is the king who is coming for you. Next to the cross, this is the greatest event of earth's history. Now, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 13, and we're going to kind of pick this return apart so you can understand it biblically and exegetically. So Mark chapter 13, verse 24 to 27, it's the Lord through the gospel writer Mark, who's overseen by Peter, describes Christ's magnificent return, his rule on planet earth. So read, if you would, silently as I read aloud, verses 24 to 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then they will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of the heaven. Now listen, this shares three things, three truths about Christ's coming that you should be aware of. And Mark chapter 13 is really building up to this moment. It's really building to this second coming. In Mark chapter 13, he gives the prediction of Jerusalem's temple being devastated and destroyed. And it's a kind of attempt and a type of the coming tribulation, devastation, and destruction in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 13. And then in verses 5 to 13, after the prediction of today's troubles, the birth pangs of war and famine and earthquakes and prosecution and persecution that's going to occur, that's going to bring about the tribulation and bring about the beginning of it. And then after the midpoint of the abomination of desolation in verses 14 to 18, and after all the atrocities right before the coming of Christ where he persecutes Israel in 19 to 23, now the gospel writer Mark describes the return of the king. He now gets to it. So he gives us three signs of the second coming. Number one in your outline, here they are. I will come in the midst of chaos. Jesus says, I will come in the midst of chaos. Hang on to your beach chair, my friends. Take a look at verses 24 through 
25. This is difficult to believe. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Wow, this is a cosmic crisis. Can you believe this? The sun darkened, lightless moon, stars falling, heavenly powers shaken. Scientists say when these things happen in our universe, it will seriously affect our earth. And there's actually references throughout the Old and New Testament, of the earth actually shaking and quaking under these events. Volcanoes will erupt, mountains will spring up, lakes will empty, canyons will form, oceans will flood, forests will burn, hurricane winds will blow, and the sun will scorch. Christ will come in the midst of chaos. Now, this is not new. The disciples are not shocked by this because the Old Testament promised that that's what would occur. In fact, it's linked to the second coming, these signs of the heavens. Look at Isaiah 24. The earth is split through, shaken violently, reeling to and fro like a drunkard. That's what's going to happen to planet earth. The moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will what? He'll reign in Jerusalem. From the Old Testament, the disciples knew that Christ's return would come in the midst of chaos worldwide chaos so look at the beginning now verse 24 but in those days he uses the versative but to kind of contrast these false christs there's all these people saying if this is christ there here he is this is the messiah this is the one you've been waiting for and he's saying no that's all a lie when christ comes it'll be totally unique it'll be totally different it'll be exactly the way the scripture describes it won't be here's the christ he has come Everyone will know with no uncertainty at the second coming of Christ and all of his angelic and saintly army with him. Jesus adds a double statement of verse 24. He says, but in those days, and he adds after, you see verse 24, after the tribulation, explicitly telling us that the timing of the second coming. You say, when is the second coming? Write it down, friends, June 22nd. It's right there. Now, thank you for laughing, because he says right here, the, de- the timing, it's after the great tribulation. It's at the end of the tribulation that's just described in verses 19 to 23. Well, how can we be certain that it's Christ who's returning? He gives us four signs. The sun will be darkened, so it's going to lose its light. Two, the moon will not give its light. Three, the stars will be falling from heaven. Now, sometimes when you read that, you think, oh, they're falling to earth? No, no, no. They're falling from their orbits to their doom and preparation for a new heaven and a new earth. So they're, they're just falling out of the sky, so to speak, in their placement. And then number four, the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. This passage is a promise that Christ will literally return, so those signs around him must also be literal. They're not symbolic. They're not metaphorical. Now, how are people going to respond when they see the sun not giving its light, the moon totally going blank, stars moving out of the night sky? How are they going to respond to that? Well, Luke 21, 25 tells us how people respond who are alive during that moment. It says, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, dismay, right there, circle that, dismay among the nations, in perplexity, circle perplexity, at the roaring of the sea and the waves, and men fainting, circle fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Very similar to all the other passages, underlined though those words, dismay, perplexity, and fainting. 
what's going to happen when people see this going on on planet earth? They are going to be shocked. The word dismay means anguish or you ever been in terror? Absolute terror? That's exactly what he's describing when he says the word dismay. Perplexity means confusing. They have no idea. They won't be able even to comprehend what in the world is going on. And then that word circled fainting, that actually means, that's kind of a poor translation, it means to breathe out. It means to die. To die. They actually, a humanity will be scared to death. That's how incredible this event is. The fear will be lethal. Now, for all of you who are in the medical field, let me be really careful here. The emotional trauma will cause rapid pulse, changes in their blood pressure, and finally cardiac arrest. Okay? So, they're going to die because they're afraid and overwhelmed by what's happening. Can you imagine that? Just seeing that is going to cause them to actually perish. So, Jesus comes in the midst of of chaos. Secondly, in your outline, he says, I will come in power and glory. I will come in power and glory. Read verse 26. It says, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Here he comes. It's like the World Series where three runs down. It's the ninth inning, the bottom. Jesus hits a towering home run, and all of God's elect go crazy. That's what the picture is here. This is it. The first Greek word in verse 26 is then, and it tells us in the midst of all this heavenly chaos, this trauma, Jesus comes. He calls himself the Son of Man here, which is the title that the prophet Daniel gave him, Son of Man, to the promised coming king, pointing to his incarnation. He is fully God, fully man, no confusion, one person. He is the Son of Man. And Jesus will return in the same manner in which he left. When he left, he left from the Mount of Olives, so he will return to the Mount of Olives and split it in half. He left and disappeared into the clouds. He will return with glory clouds all around him. It says, verse 26, coming in the clouds. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 3, actually pictures Christ riding the clouds like a chariot. Now, this could be actual literal clouds, or it could be the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory surrounding Christ as he returns, the, the, the presence of God in Old Testament Israel the Lord's return will be jaw-dropping majestic. Listen, you'll be redeemed, you'll be perfect, and you'll be blown away. Everyone is going to be blown away when Christ comes in full majesty. This is a sight that you have never seen before. It is so awesome, the, the uh, biblical writers describe it as lightning. Take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. Continual nonstop lightning, for just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even in the west, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. That will be awesome, the person of Christ. When he returns, it's not going to be secret, it's not going to be veiled like his first coming. It won't be symbolic. We've already discovered in God's never wrong word that Christ will literally, visibly, personally return in full glory. And Mark says here, it says in verse 26, they will see the Son of Man. Revelation 1-7, every eye will see him. And do you know what the Greek word see means? What's it mean? No, it means visible. Okay, it means perceived by sight. It means naked eye. It means you are going to visually, physically see full perception. Everyone will know. No one will question. This is God incarnate coming to rule the earth. 
No one will question that. Verse 26, it says, With great power he comes, and great glory. Power means strength, ability, might, capability. And Mark adds, mega, mega power. This is jaw-dropping omnipotence, all power. You will see all the power in the universe manifested with Christ as he returns. All of it. And you will see his glory, which is the summation of all his attributes. It will be an incredible sight. You will be speechless. Glory is also a majestic, radiant light that displays the overwhelming perfection of God's character, and you'll just go, aw. It'll be that awesome. So when our Lord returns, he gives salvation to his elect. He slaughters all the Christ-rejecting unbelievers worldwide who hate Christ, who hate those who love Christ. He'll easily overpower Satan because he's a created being. He'll completely stop all the millions of demons who are now on the earth and enslave them. And he'll restore a devastated earth and set up his righteous rule. So he not just comes in the midst of chaos. He not merely comes in glory and power. But number three in your outline, he will come for his own. He will come for you if you're his own. Read verse 27. And then he sent forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. This is the definition of awesome. I mean, picture it. Returning with Christ are all the angels. Listen, I think it's all the angels that come with him. There's not a single angel who's going to miss this. This is the event that they've been looking for for centuries. And so it says to us in Matthew 16, 27, take a look, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds, Matthew 25, 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, all of them are there, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the angels are coming back, and the angels, you know that what they are, they're another race of being. There are supernatural beings, a race of beings created to serve God. They're powerful they cannot die, but they are created. They are created. There are people, again, who come from with a persuasion that it's God versus Satan. This is not a contest, friend. God has allowed him to do what he does and his demons, but they are under his sovereign hand. Never forget that. Never forget that. The, even the chief one, Lucifer, who rebelled against God, becoming Satan, the one who convinced a third of the angels to rebel with him, all those fallen angels who are now demons, Satan and his demons, they're all created beings. They're all unholy. They're all fallen. But they're all merely created. Satan is not sovereign. This is not a contest. Because what's going to happen is going to show you the holy, the perfect, sinless, unfallen, good angels have returned with Christ. And Christ will send them out. He commissions them to gather his people. I love this. The angels are the ones who literally assemble humankind. Matthew 13 tells us he assembles the non-elect. Mark 13 tells us he assembles the elect. Matthew 13 tells us they gather the angels, the unbelievers, for judgment. And here in Mark 13, the angels gather the elect for glory. Matthew describes the unbelievers in Matthew 13, 49. Look at it. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. And who are they going to then gather when Mark gathers then the elect? 
They're going to gather the non-elect. Well, who's going to gather the elect? Well, the angels are. And who of the elect are they? Well, there are three. Write these down. Three different groups of people are going to be there. The tribulational saints are going to be there. Remember the 144,000 who are coming to Christ through the ministry of the two prophets? And they then witness to the world. And it's a multitude of people who come to know Christ. Myriads and myriads during the tribulation. They're all going to be present here at this gathering. Also, the Old Testament saints, all those saints, all those believers in the Old Testament, the glorified, are going to be glorified, and they're going to be gathered now in glorified bodies, united with their redeemed immaterial spirits, and they will be the resurrected Old Testament believers. And then the third group is the New Testament church saints, you and me. We'll be there. In fact, we'll have returned with our groom and are present at this amazing assembly. So we're all gathered with him because Revelation 3.10 promised that we'll be kept from the hour that comes to try the whole earth. We're preserved from that. We're preserved from the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we will be delivered from the wrath that is to come. You say, Chris, does that mean we won't get to see all this? No, it says in Colossians 3.4, when Christ comes, who was our life is revealed, when he returns and appears to the entire world, then you also, that's you and me, will be revealed with him. Where? In glory. We'll get to come with him in glory. And we're here now at this giant assembly. As we've returned with him, we come to earth, and we get to watch this victory take place. We get to watch Jesus win the battle. Don't you love that? We're the army. The angels are the army. Christ fights the battle. Don't you love that? Come on. He just speaks a word, and it's done. His sovereignty is established and proven through this moment. And Jesus is saying that everyone will be there. No one is left out. None of the elect are going to miss this event. None of the elect are going to miss out on what's coming next, the kingdom and then incredible eternity with him. He says, when he will gather together, verse 26, his elect from the four winds. That's like saying the four corners of the earth. That means no one's left out. And he makes sure, verse 26, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. You know, sometimes little kids will get stuck in a cabinet somewhere or somebody gets stuck in a vehicle somewhere or somewhere somebody misses out on the big event because they're locked in a room. Anybody with me on this? That does not happen. If you are the elect, you will be at this event. You will be present and you will be one of his children for all eternity. It literally says... From earth's extremity to heaven's extremity, all space and all direction, no spot in heaven on earth or heaven is overlooked where the elect will be overlooked and left behind. None of the elect are missing this incredible event. Jesus says, no genuinely saved, chosen by God, elect believer from past, present, or future is going to miss the kingdom. No one's going to miss that. All the elect have gathered before Christ. The goats are judged and condemned to Hades. Matthew 25, the elect will enter the awesome righteous kingdom ruled now by the all-powerful, all-loving, all-just king of all kings. Aren't you excited? Come on! This is it. What will that be like when we rule with Christ on a perfect planet Earth? You got to come back next week and we'll get there, okay? But man, it's going to be exciting. Come Lord Jesus, today I want you to hear not just about the return of Christ, I want you to live it. So take this home with me with some closing comments here. Letter A in your outline, trust your Savior to keep his promises. Did you not just sing that he is faithful to keep his promises? He is faithful. He will keep his promises. He mentions his return 1,845 times, friends, because he wants you to know it's going to happen. 
like Zechariah 14, verse 5. Would you look at that verse? Zechariah 14, 5 there in your outline. Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. That's us. And the Lord will be king over what? All the earth. In that day, the Lord will be what? The only one, and his name, the only one. Are you getting this? He is, don't you love that? The only one. No other name can salvation come. He's the only one. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only one who's going to come and rule this planet. He's the only faith that is genuine and true. This is all going to happen just as the Bible promises. Believe it, bank on it, hope on it. The Savior who took your punishment for sin is going to rule and reign on this earth. And you will be with him. Letter B. Be sobered by the judgment of God for sin. Christ will return to judge this world. He will. There's just too much sin, too much injustice, too much wickedness, too much rebellion, too much evil for a holy, perfect, righteous God to not judge this world. Could I highly recommend that you not only read these sober words, but that you kind of memorize this passage, at least part of it? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. Look at it. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, there's that awesome sight. He's going to deal out retribution. Say, who to who? He tells you. To those who do not know God. Even if you say you do, but you don't. If you're not in Christ, you don't. And he makes it really clear when he says, and to those who do not what? Obey the gospel. You say, what is that gospel? That's good news. And the good news is this, that you don't have to earn your way of salvation, that God earned it for you. That if you rely on the work of Christ on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and you put all of your hope and your life in His hands, that you turn from your sin and you respond in dependent repentance and faith in Him, that He will cause you to be born again and save you. If you don't respond to that message with your life, then you're going to be dealt retribution. Verse 9, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Listen, I just told you that you would marvel when He comes and this passage just said you will marvel when He comes. When you're in your perfect glorified form and sinless, you will marvel at the majestic nature of Jesus Christ. Sin must be judged, friends. And if you're in Christ, your sin has already been judged on the cross. Can I hear him into that? You can stand in God's presence because your sin was punished on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was punished for your sin. And in that miracle of that justification, he covered you with the perfect white robe of his righteousness. And that's the only way you'll ever enter into heaven, is to be dressed in the white robes of Christ's righteousness. You must be covered in his righteousness. And you say, well, how do I know? Well, when he covers you in his righteousness, he also changes your heart, called regeneration. Giving you a new heart that wants to obey, wants to follow, wants to please him in all you do. It's not just rhetoric, but you actually live following Christ. And if that is true of you, then you are one of his chosen and you are covered in his righteousness. But if you are not in Christ, then your sin must be judged. And judgment will fall upon you, just like my notes just fell from the stand. You have no substitute. You have no imputed righteousness. 
You cannot stand in God's presence. You are doomed because God must judge sin. So it's either going to be judged on your behalf through Christ or it's going to be bearing you and you bearing the total punishment for your sin now and forever. Letter C. Grow in your longing for heaven. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, you have a home you've not been to. You have a home that you've not been to. Uh, you belong there. We belong in heaven. We don't belong here. You ever feel that? We don't belong here. We belong there. And all you do and all you think and all you say, you should, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on this earth. Pray more about heaven. Think more about heaven. Talk more about heaven. And as you do, the grip and the struggle of this world. I'm studying heaven right now for a couple weeks from here, uh, from this moment. You don't want to miss it. You do not want to miss when we talk about what your future home is going to be like because it is beyond what you can even comprehend. It is that good. Think about it. Pray about it. Long for it. And letter D, would you plead with those who are facing torment? Only those in Christ are saved. Only the elect will be in the millennium and then go to heaven. And I plead with you, if you're one of those who prayed a prayer and you, know, you, you made a show of being a Christian at one point, Listen, it always shows if it's genuine in your life, you want to follow him. My sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. It says that if you say you love Christ but you don't obey him, you're a liar. You want to obey the word even when you fail to and we often do. But we want to please him. We want to follow him and it's going to see in your life. Plead with those people who are playing Christianity. Plead with those people who are marginal Christians and only on the outside, but there's no sense of obedience. There's no sense of wanting to please them. There's no sense of sacrifice, no sense of ministry. Faith without works is what? It's not faith. It's phony faith. Stop messing around. Cry out to Christ to give you a new heart to follow him and to, and to know him. And letter E, if you could, rejoice, give thanks, sing praise, and celebrate. Why? Because Jesus Christ the greatest event in all of history is about to come upon us because Jesus Christ is coming again. Can I hear an amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be anticipating your coming, both in the way that we share with those who don't know Christ and those who claim Christ but show no evidence of Christ, and also the way we live our lives anticipating heaven, not being tied down to this world, not being overwhelmed by the things of this world, but longing for that future home. Help us to be freed up, to be walking with you and serving you, to be much more heavenly minded. And Father, we pray that if there are any here who don't know that you would shake them and crack open that hard heart so that they might have a soft heart to respond to you in repentance and faith so that they would know the true joy and true love of a Savior who's done all of this for them and is coming again. Help us to look at all the news and all the lies and know that the one who is true is coming. The one who will establish truth forever is coming. And so we can rejoice. So now, Father, as we worship you, we worship not just in song, but our very lives offered to you as a living sacrifice. 
we say it would be available and we were available to you and we want to be acceptable to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.